0: I had the pleasure of speaking with Darren McKiernan, the lead manager of the McKenzie Global Dividend Fund. Darren and I had a long, wide-ranging conversation. We've decided to split this conversation into two parts. The first part, which you are about to hear, covers Darren's early interest in finance. He speaks about how an arcane baseball computer simulator game led him to think probabilistically and how he made the move from Brandon, Manitoba to Bay Street. You'll also get his recommendations on books, podcasts, and where to eat. I hope you enjoy. This podcast is for informational purposes only. Information relating to investment approaches or individual investments should not be construed as advice or endorsement. Listeners should seek professional advice for their situation. Welcome to Bytes and Insights, the podcast designed to give you insights on how our investors manage client money. My name is Matthew Schnur and I'm excited to have Darren McKiernan join us today. Darren has been managing global dividend funds for over a decade, starting at Trimark and then taking over the McKinsey Global Dividend Fund in January of 2014. Darren and his team manage over $11 billion in assets. Darren, welcome to the podcast. Thank you uh, for inviting me, Matt. We're looking forward to a wide-ranging conversation. Let's get started with how you got interested in investment management.
1: Yeah. Um- it was kind of interesting in the well, maybe not that interesting. But uh, I uh, I grew up in a small town uh, in uh, in Manitoba called Brandon. Uh, didn't really have a lot of exposure to uh, you know in depth capital markets out there. Uh, my dad was a doctor. Uh, I was a first generation immigrant from Ireland, and uh, you know getting into uh, finance was not really an option. <laughs> so sure. as, as most, uh, most, uh, Irish immigrants, uh, would tell you. Um, but, uh, so, uh, make a long story short. Um, I didn't really have any desire to get into medical school or to get into medicine, into the hard sciences, not because I didn't, uh, you know, (laughs) like my dad or have have a real appreciation for medicine, but, you know, spending time having going to the hospital after soccer practice or piano practice or what have you, you know, they always sort of struck me as... um, Hospitals, it's kind of depressing places, sure, and not not what you'd see on TV, anyways. Uh, the The, the greatest Anatomy and the ERs of the world is not uh, not what I experienced in growing up in in, in the Brandon General Hospital. Um, so I really, when I went into uh, school, I kind of wanted to think, okay, what what which which path did I want to go to? What had the most sort of optionality? I was thinking about that at an early age, um, and uh, I. I was thinking, you know, of hard sciences, not so much just simply because I didn't want to go down the academic route, um, you know, going into pure arts, uh, obviously, you know, enjoyed English and had, you know, uh, really, you know, obviously a lot of interest in there, but I just wanted it to be more, I guess there was a practical part of me that was thinking, what what was I going to do with that afterwards? So uh, the default was, you know, let's, let me go into business school and, and, and I really honestly had no real exposure to business uh growing up um uh it's not like i had an entrepreneurial family sure um but i did know that hey maybe i can go into law maybe i can go into other things and you know that just sort of gave me that sort of platform to 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 venture into different sort of streams so when you were in business school, I understand that you spent
0: uh, a year or semester down in Minnesota uh, as a part of a scholarship and introduced a little bit into finance there. Yeah, why don't you expand on on that?
1: Experience? Yeah, yeah, no, uh, it's great. I, I was because I was sort of searching. I didn't really know what I wanted to do pre- specifically, um, even within business. There was this sort of scholarship slash exchange program that was being introduced in the University of Manitoba. Now. And the exchange or the scholarship was for uh, a transfer to, there's two students, two would go down and one would come up to the University of Minnesota Mm -hmm. in Minneapolis. Now the little side joke is this was the inaugural year of the program. And the following year, of course, the exchange was at like in South Korea, and then <laughs> and then it was in Mexico, and it was it was like uh, Minnesota well, yeah, Minnesota was yeah, <laughs> exactly. Well, you know, you don't laugh. It was actually more. You know, Minnesota winners are actually a break from the Manitoba winners, which is uh, you know everything's that's, relative. That's, that's a whole, exactly that's a whole different uh, conversation. But um, no, I went down there, and I was really kind of determined to figure out what the heck I wanted to do, and. Uh, Uh, so I I literally, you know, I was taking a course in finance, um, and it sort of resonated with me, uh, and just why is that? Well, you know, I thought, well, accounting was a little bit too dry, um, and, uh, you know, marketing maybe a little bit too, you know, I hate the word flaky, but just a little bit too, call it subjective. And finance was sort of a really nice mixture of the two. Now, just sort of side, sidebar here. I really love playing what was called Stratomatic Baseball, and okay. this is uh, this is this is growing up. This is really I'm really going to geek out here, but my brother, one of my brothers, and a bunch of our friends, we'd actually take the statistics from previous seasons, load these statistics into what was called an Omega computer at the time, and we played simulated games using this Earl Weaver Earl Weaver baseball. Program right, okay. and we had like a full-on league, and we'd we'd have you know <laughs> names of the league. My my team was called the Harbingers of Doom. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah very, <laughs> very quite nice. nice yeah, I wanted to you know, you know, really impose my uh, you know intimidate the the other computer teams, right? <laughs> um, and I'll tell you what, really, I loved going through baseball stats, okay. and I loved being able to say, think, well, geez. What if I just traded for this right-hand reliever and who's got you know a 100, 156 uh, opposing hitters batting average mm-hmm. and use them as my sort of uh, my my um, my my sort of spot reliever and, and I could you know trade this I I, I just it was a great I, I felt you know early on I was kind of you know leaning towards you know high high uh, high uh, on base percentages and things like that and there was a real combination of the raw statistics and then like using that to apply to like real world simulations right sure. which is you literally played played the game the, these games using these statistics and of course it it, it never works out perfectly one way or the other but you know over the course of the three or four years that we we had we we i always finished like i've never lost i never won the whole thing but i finished no 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 uh no lower than third and so that was kind of an interesting when it so when fast forward to finance, mm-hmm. I kind of had this sort of you had all these statistics, but you had to apply them to the real world, right? right? And, and it's messy. And it doesn't always apl- It doesn't always work out the way you think. Uh, so I was that sort of caught my attention. Now, the next step for me in terms of my call it my exposure, I I was thinking, okay, well, there's got to be more to it than this in terms of just taking the sort of the academic courses. So. While I was in Minneapolis, I I literally I went to the the, the yellow pages existed back then. Which kind of funny, took out the yellow pages and I went to um, looking at like you know financial planners. Okay, okay? and I because I didn't know I mean what's the right I mean I I, I didn't even you know the difference between the sell side the buy side and the, what a CFA was and all this stuff. This is talking like early nineties, right? So um, I uh, open up the open up the 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 uh, the, the the yellow, yellow pages. The, the yellow pages <laughs> and just going through it. And I find this firm called Fure Financial Corporation, F-U-R-E. And it looked kind of, you know, rather important or impressive. They had a bunch of CFPs and uh, certified financial planners and it was SEC registered. So okay. I guess that was good, right? And, uh, so I literally cold called this, this place and, um, I get it I get a call I get the, the the receptionist answers and and I give them my spiel I mean, my name's Darren McKiernan. I'm here attending the Carlson School of Management and uh just like to know a little bit more about your business and the receptionist says let me just put you on hold for one second um and next thing you know I've been patched through and the gentleman on the other line says hello this is uh, Johannes Fury speaking now, Johannes Fury is the president uh, wow. of this fount- of this firm and I gave johannes my my uh my spiel and he uh basically said look darren the reason why i'm talking to you is because if i had done what you did however many years ago uh i wouldn't have wasted the first like five years of my career or life uh after finishing school because i love this business i love what i do and i've told anybody that answers his phone to like put them right through to me so he invited me into his company or his firm and, you know, we talked a little bit and he gave me uh, a book um, by Michael K. Evans and the book, uh, the name of that book, it's it's really kind of a, it's, it's, it's an awful title. It's how to make your shrinking salary support you in style for the rest of your life. Okay. And I know it's a bit of a mouthful and, but it covers everything from investments to estate planning to savings okay. and understanding that you know, the, the, the first time I was exposed to what, what does compounding mean and how does that, you know, what's the difference between a 5% return over 30 years and a, and a, and a 8% return or a sure. 6% return. And he said, well, tell me what you think about this book and I come back and, you know, obviously I read it right away and I came back and said, look, I really love this investment, the investing section. It was and here's a book by Peter Lynch called one up on wall street. Yeah. And then here's another book by Martin Zweig. Right. And he just gave me a bunch of lists of a bunch of books and i just hoovered them up wow and it was after that that i realized this is this is what i wanted i wanted to be a stock analyst sure. and 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 that was that was it that and and from there on in i had that was my focus that's what i knew what i wanted to do and um you Know the rest is kind of history circling back on uh,
0: looking at baseball stats and thinking probabilistically, yeah, probability of you phoning a random
1: firm <laughs> yeah. in the yellow pages and getting patched through to the CEO, yeah, is fairly small, yeah, so. yeah. I didn't That's, appreciate it that yeah. at the time, but uh, yeah, you're right. I'm looking about it now, it was it was pretty, pretty, pretty crazy, yeah.
0: So, you uh, you graduate school, mm-hmm. uh, you're uh, still in Manitoba, yep, uh, your first job is on Bay Street, working on the south side for Scotia. How do you? How did you make that uh, switch from Manitoba to Toronto?
1: Yeah. Well, first I'll just say, you know, it was, it was actually, I was fortunate enough. I was lucky enough to get a buy side job right away. I've always been, I've always been on the buy side. Uh, but it's it's funny because when I I graduated from school and obviously I don't have any didn't have any connections so my fam none of my family was in finance in any big way I hit my my grandfather was a bank manager of the paw the Royal Bank uh, the Royal Bank branch in the paw Manitoba more okay. than Manitoba so but well connected yeah well <laughs> connected no but but fortunately by virtue of this scholarship I did meet some of the 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 some of the I call it the mucky Mucks. Uh, that are involved in the university of manitoba particularly the dean a guy named uh, william Magnus, and then another gentleman uh by the name of kevin cavanaugh who used to be the chairman and ceo of great west life for mm. many many years and actually just so coincidentally i was from brandon um and they were very generous i told them that i was heading out to to, to toronto or was thinking about going to toronto um I had applied to, ironically, Investors Group, uh, and I mentioned, uh, uh, you know, a guy named Larry Sarbit, very well-known sure. portfolio manager at the time and today, mm-hmm. very generous with his time, was really great. And but frankly, they just weren't hiring, and that, no, no problem. Okay. Same thing with Great West Life, right? Uh, and so I was determined to, to to be a stock picker somewhere, be an analyst. And so when I approached uh, Dean Magnus and. Uh, and Kevin Kavanaugh, they were extremely generous with, hey, here's a list of people to call. Now, again, it's my my naivety was my biggest sort of advantage because they were giving me people like names like Chuck Winograd, who's like the vice chairman of of, of Dominion Securities and. Bob Krembol who sure. is like the is, is, the, is the, this, this uh, comes full circle he's like the you know, present founder of Trimark and just going down really like the who's who like sure. uh, uh, um, uh, uh, the, uh, the head of uh, Gordon Capital um uh, Jerry Conacher, um just really you know, people that you know, just a whole different sort of league but I called them up and I would say hey my name's Darren McKernan uh Kevin Kavanaugh suggested I give you a call. Would just love to uh, pick your brain, just 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 get some advice. Right? Sure. <laughs> and I'd say ninety nine percent of the people I called were uh, amazing. They 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 said, "Come on in, let me talk to." you. And some of them spent like over like in some in some cases over an hour just talking wow. to me. And at the end of each conversation, my goal was just one thing. I was not going to ask for a job. I wasn't going to say, "Hey, how do who's where is the HR department? How do I you know apply?" Blah blah blah. Just like, hey, you know. You have anybody else I could talk to? Like this is great, you know. And they're and that's how I networked, right? right? So fast forward a little bit, like not a month or so, maybe two months, not even. I, I, I arrived in June of nineteen ninety five. No, right, it's like a month after I graduated from my my degree. Um, and um, they, I got I, I got in front of an, a gentleman by the name of uh, Bill Smith, who was the CEO of what was called at the time Scotia Investment Management. And, um, uh, Bill had, uh, told me, you know, after meeting with me for, you know, 20, 25 minutes, very nice. He's like, look, Darren, we won't hire anybody in the investment department unless they have a minimum five years of experience, preferably a CFA or, and an MBA. Um, but you know, good luck. And here's a couple of names as well, as well, same thing, right? right. Like, good luck. Keep in touch. And it's just, you know, nothing, you know, is. What was the way the most normal uh, sort of meetings went? Well, maybe maybe two or three weeks go by and I get a call from the HR department from Scotia Capital Markets, right? And they say, yeah, we've got this – there's this position for senior research analysts, Canadian equities – Um, And we were told to call you (laughs) for some reason. (laughs) And I'm like, okay. And uh, I wasn't going to, you know, wish, uh, look a a, a gift horse in the mouth. But, you know, I was thinking to myself, I just was told by the CEO that I don't have a snowball's chance in hell of getting a job today. Sure. Uh, But they brought me in for an interview and just went through a bunch of rounds of interviews. And finally, they gave me a company that I analyzed, Seagram's, right? Okay. At the time, Seagram's, like, this is one of the great, you know, you can re- know there's books on this stuff, the amount of, like, value destruction that had happened at Seagram's. But at the time, they owned, obviously, the the alcoholic beverage business. Right. They owned 20% of DuPont. Okay, yeah. <laughs> yes. They had, like, this, you know... Uh, you know if if they'd held on to the assets they had like this you know there's no secrets would be among uh, outside the banks would be amongst the biggest com- companies in the TSX today right. by, by uh, with no with very no no doubt excuse me um anyway uh i they said put together a five six page no more than five pages report on this stuff they gave me the annual report and a couple of like you know s- single page sell-side research reports and um um, did that, but here's the key, Here's the thing for me. I, I knew that was my chance because why I just been spending the last two years reading, you know, going from one investment book to another. Right. right? I, I, I knew, I, I kind of like knew what I, how, how to approach this. Right. Sure. And I figured, you know, I'm, they're not going to look at I mean, like my, my, my Dean's list. I had no problem. My grades were fine. And, and, um, you know, it was uh it was that that wasn't the issue at all, but you know, this is something that I'd really had a passion for early on. And so, you know, I I went through, went back, presented to presented my report. Um actually I I gotta dig out, dig that out somewhere. I know that's somewhere in my in my archives. So that I'd show it to my my team, they'd probably laugh. But anyway. Yeah, sure. Um I've evolved a little yeah, bit. So since I ended, think I yeah. think so, maybe, <laughs> right? But I was right. <laughs> right. Um they uh, called me back and I'd actually gone back home to Brandon because I was interviewing at crown life, sure. which was, they had an investment department still there's now recall crown life was, was, was uh, based in Regina, Saskatchewan. And I was like, I didn't care where I was. I didn't care where I was going to start my career. I just wanted to be a stock picker somewhere. And um, I was back and just, just, just after my interview, I'd, I'd driven to and from Regina and I get a call and my mom answers the phone and she goes, Hey, it's for you. And I pick it up and it's Bill Smith. And he says, you know, Darren, we can't possibly justify hiring you as a senior research analyst. Sure. <laughs> Canadian equities with no experience, no like no d- d- don't have the MBA, don't have you just ran right out of school, like the bank would implode based on you know just the whole <laughs> you know, structure. Structure really. sure. like this can't happen, right? Um, and so what he said was, "Look, we would really be remiss in talking to uh, like the CIO, a guy named John Bright, and and, and Galen Morfitt, who was going to be my direct reporter, as head right. of Canadian equities. Um, we'd love to give you your chance, your start." And so they created this position for me as a junior research analyst. Mm-hmm. It was a contract position for six months. And he, and Bill said, uh, "You know, we'll see what happens. But it's in his experience that getting your foot in the door is the most important thing. And sure. we want to give you your shot. So that Thanks. was it. And and I, so I was going to say six months later, or, or they re upped my contract because they they had they, they're given a year to make a decision. Right, the bank they weren't going to put you full time until they had to, right? Right. And then they made me permanent uh, full time, or I was full time the whole time. But they made me a permanent employee, full time employee, I should say. And, a year yeah. later." And then six months after that, I was made a senior research analyst. And then six months after that, I was called uh, – a headhunter called me.
0: right. And uh, I moved on. Maybe we can segue into that then. So I know that you worked – uh, early part of your uh, mm-hmm. career at the Trimark Fund yeah uh, with Bob Kremble mm-hmm. before you get into sort of describing what you learned from that and, yeah. and that experience did Bob remember you from calling him way back at uh, you know, of school
1: he he, he kind of <laughs> he says kind of but I don't okay. know it mean, could be <laughs> not because I, I and I got Bob's I shouldn't say I, I got Bob's name uh, from David Knight okay. who Knight Baines Ethan Holburg, Holbrook which is that was the I was a big investment counselor there and I so I, I I'm I'm just losing the, the how the the mechanics, went. yeah, because I th- I got David Knight's name from Kevin Kavanaugh and David Knight, sure name to call Bob, but yeah. Anyway, yeah. So uh, he said yes, but I, he's probably he might have just, just been humouring me, yeah, right. yeah,
0: yeah. Um, but in any case, you did you did work uh, mm-hmm. on the Trimark Fund as the only analyst. Yeah, I was uh, I was closely with Bob. Uh, clearly, Bob, uh, tremendous Canadian
1: investor, well yeah, known. Yeah. What was it like working with him? Well, I mean. There were other portfolio managers involved Mm -hmm. as well. Uh, I mean, you have to understand Bob was not just the chief investment officer and sort of call it lead portfolio manager. He was, you know, he signed off on marketing documents. He just, just did, which was one of the most amazing things that I was, I sort of experienced. And like, I would be writing a quarterly, like a little note on Bosch and Lom, for instance, remember that. And uh, I kind of, you know very meek, go up to his office. Say, hey, Bob, you want know, take a look at this. Uh, you know, my, the, 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 the other portfolio manager is not around. So take a look Hey, you know, go through it, like correct my grammar, you know, within okay. like, like literally 30 seconds. It's just like, uh, pretty amazing. Uh, it's a, pretty amazing. Um, but, uh, I'll tell you what, 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 I learned at Trimark and not just, obviously not just from Bob, but, uh, there was a lot of great investors mm-hmm. there, uh, which, you know, have gone on to do amazing things. Um, but, uh, it was really looking at businesses or stocks as businesses right. really critically, right? And really thinking about them as not just pieces of paper. And this just sounds cliched and, and whatnot, but it really was true. And it really, it really is true. And um, having a much greater appreciation for, uh, the underlying mechanics of how a business works, and 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 just thinking about having a long term view, thinking mm-hmm. what this you have to remember. Bob is a guy that owned like Intel in the, in the in the Intel. He was like they were one of the biggest shareholders of Intel and in Applied Materials and FedEx in the late in the early eighties, right? Right. Uh, I mean, it's incredible. Like you know, thinking about well, you know a, a time horizon that that's pretty 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 amazing, um, but. Um, the, the biggest takeaway was just that. it's just really, this is not a piece of paper. This is a business. Right. And of course, you'd read it all. You know, we'd read it for, you'd listening, re- reading Buffett and things like that. But this was really, I think, the first time I'd had that true application uh, in terms of really uh, connecting those two sort of uh, right. concepts. And
0: I guess to uh, put a, a point on that, mm-hmm. um, you did take a two-year hiatus from the investment world mm. to actually uh, start... Uh, running your own business or being involved <laughs> with running a business. Yeah. Uh, tell us a little bit about the business that you that you
1: uh, were involved with and what you learned from it. Sure. Yeah. Well, yeah, just just to, to give you a little bit of context there. Uh, well, you know, we got bought out. We uh, Trimark time got bought out by uh, Invesco. Mm-hmm. And it was called sure. Am- Amvestcap at the time. And and I knew Bob was leaving. And the gentleman who'd taken over the fund—I uh, know he was—he was a much more senior portfolio manager. And my delusions of grandeur, before that, thinking I'd be taking over the Trimark fund at whatever age I was in the sort of early, early, uh, late twenties. Uh, which you know would have been a disaster most likely sure. <laughs> at that point. Uh, but uh, so I took the opportunity, and I was really again really lucky. I got a job right out of undergrad, like Absolutely. you know, not having to really toil in anything. Some sort of part of the of the industry that was really not for me or not really what I wanted to do. So I really lucked out. Um, so at the time, though, when when we knew that Bob was going to sell the company and 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 we knew that he wasn't going to stick around. Uh, I was started thinking about what was next for me and uh, this, this opportunity came up through some people I knew and some friends that starting this outsourcing company in India. Right. And this is like, right. Like sort of early 2000 and we had access to a low, uh, a techno park, a very high, high uh, uh, call it a very modern sort of fully functional techno park in Southern India in Kerala. Uh, It's just South of Goa and uh, which, you know, through through some of the investors, some of the people that were running it, their connections, their familiar connections. And so <clears throat> I started getting involved in that and to the point where, you know, I, I wanted to see, uh, you know, uh, one of the things that, oh, just going back, why did I do that? Well, you know, working at Trimor was fantastic and because we really thought of, tried to think of ourselves as business people, right? Sure. And, and, and operators and managers. And, you know, you could see that I still remember this distinctly. I remember the, the management team of, of, I think it was either Sony or Matsushita. It's a big Japanese company, right? big the conglomerate. They came in one day and it's like, you know, a half dozen managers that walk in. And remember me asking, grilling them about, you know, why are they keeping these divisions open? Why aren't they improving the margins in this part of the business? And, and just really just saying, well, just, you know, kind of like flip a switch, you know, get rid of that business. Right. And there you go. You know, Bob's your uncle. And, uh and, uh, you yeah, know, but when you're walking out of that meeting, you're realizing, geez, what do I really know? Like, I imagine like this is like a, a company with hundreds of thousands, if not well, certainly thousands of employees. Um, it's just, I guess it's just not as simple as just, you know, you know, snapping your fingers and having these, these, op- these really complex operational sort of entrenched uh, parts of the business just change on a dime. Um and so, what do I really know about running a business? No, I can pick stocks and I can analyze balance sheets and cash flow statements, and I can think about what the business is going to do, and sure. blah blah blah. And that's all very academic and fine and good, but what do I really know about running a company? And so, when this opportunity, the confluence of factors with you know the the try marketing sold Bob taking off, and uh, I didn't really think going to get an MBA made sense simply because I mean, people get their MBAs to get my job, right? right. That's why you go get, that's why the Scotians were like, well, we want you to have an MBA. Well, I had, I, I'd, I'd gotten the job. So kind of sort of, sort of short circuited that, that path, but I really did want to know, I wanted to become a better investor. And so we started this business process outsourcing company in India. And it was probably, you know, one of the most important things, decisions that I made. You learned that indeed you can
0: change things, no problem. And there was no uh, challenges <laughs> a, in changing the business yeah, uh, just, units or structures. Yeah, just yeah. snap your fingers right. and it was easy. No,
1: you <laughs> dealt with, look, and I was, we were selling tech services and, and I, I don't need to, I don't think you, For the, sure. we can get it. We don't have to get into the details, but basically we were selling, um, uh, basically call it little packages of software that connected um uh, applications to bigger sort of management infrastructure okay. platforms. Okay. Great. Okay. And uh, so my job was sort of, I was a de facto CFO. I was, in, I was head, I was I think my actual title was head of business development. So it did a little bit of everything. So I was in pre technical pre-sales. I was, had some, you know, people responsibility. We had like a engine, about 25 or 30 engineers in, in, uh, in India plus six or seven in, in, in Toronto. and, you know what you learned is just that it's it's uh, you know you, business it, it's it's not as simple as just putting it on a spreadsheet. It's uh, in dealing with people. It's things you know you think decisions that you make may seem logical, but you know there's friction involved with sure. everything, right? It's you know making sure that the systems are working, that the you know the pencils are ordered, and that the the, the cleaners are coming in. Like it's right. just little things that you really begin to appreciate, um, but. It was like, I told them when I left, when I joined, I said, look, I'll give you two years of my time. And, um, because unless of course i loved it. And it was like, wow, this is, this is fantastic. Uh, but those two years started to approach and like the whole time, obviously I was still, you know, beholden to the markets. Mm-hmm. My, my screen shavers were you know, still market watch, I think was the, was the queen screen saver I used back then. This is, you know, this is sort of early 2000. And, um, I had an opportunity to go back into the business, and um, uh, about two years later, and I'd sort of given the team sort of a lot of warning. And, and look, what I realized too very early on is I loved I loved what I did in right. terms of being an analyst, picking stocks, managing money, or, or, or analyzing businesses and man- analyzing multiple businesses, not just you know tech. Uh, the good news is the company, you know, it's ended up. You know, we, you know, despite uh, you know the tech bubble bursting sure. and then going through the financial Very challenging crisis. time to do yeah, something like that. Yeah, You have like there's 150 engineers out there still, and we're growing. And uh, I still have a. A very uh, a small financial stake in it, okay. <laughs> but but uh, uh, it it was a it was certainly a great experience, and certainly makes me appreciate the the job that I have today. Uh, great, thanks for that. Um, and we conclude
0: these podcasts with uh, getting recommendations on a series of different things. So, what are some of your favorite uh, books, investment related, fiction, nonfiction?
1: Well, um, I'd say my most like it's it's I'm always it's. I'm always reading sort of uh, uh, investment-related books. So uh, my most recent one was uh, Qu- uh, "Quality Investing" by uh, I guess Patrick Cunningham. Okay. I think it was 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 really good. And they actually it, actually coming from a uh, it, the guys from Ako Capital were sort of the the ba- the, the basis of that book. Um, Is it, I mean it's, it's funny you read these investment books and there's. Uh, there's always a uh, you know there's there's always a lot of common links, but it's always good to always refresh these things and and uh, um, I find I, I found that was really interesting because there's a lot of a lot of stuff that resonated with uh, with with me there. Uh, my favorite, oh God, it's so hard to say what my favorite book is. Um, uh, this is kind of this is I read this when I was like really. I guess one of the biggest impacting books I had was when I was a teenager, and like you're you're, you're going through all sorts of you know emotional things right? You're a teenager. Sure. I read this is kind of funny. I read of human bondage by a Somerset Maugham. when I was like 15 or so and like going through a breakup and uh actually it was kind of uh it was good it was uh it's a very uh uh you know intense story and uh, but it resonated really uh really strongly with me at the time so that that and I've recommended it to other people too which is uh, which is something it's kind of a classic right and uh so I don't know I'm just thinking about books that that really resonate. I loved obviously growing up I love fantasy and fiction I I I, there's I, and this is growing up i mean reading the Xanth series by piers anthony i don't know if that any that, that I'm not with with yeah it, no. yeah i know that oh, sorry I'm, I'm i'm really reaching there um i'll tell you one of the toughest one of the hardest books i read was 100 years of solitude was was really tough to, to sure. get through but i, I guess these, these are not that's an anti-recommendation <laughs> because I, I could get one of the one of the best things i learned from my old boss at uh, my old boss at burgundy who's, who's a voracious reader he's like he doesn't waste time if, if he's not into it after 40 or 50 pages he just puts it down so
0: i've heard so many people say that recently that yeah. it's not worth slugging through yeah. even though that's yeah. the instinct um give me some of your favorite podcasts
1: um, well, I, I, one of the ones from, a, I'll give you two business podcasts. I, I, uh, uh, tech, the tech meme ride home by, with Brian McCullough okay. is great. Uh, I listen to it daily and it just sort of sums up the day in tech, right? Even though, again, it's just, it keeps me again, I'm obviously not a tech investor per mm-hmm. se, but it just keeps me sort of on top of stuff that, that I wouldn't have, would have thought of, um, uh, this is, again, in terms of just sort of being able to veg out and, uh you know, whether I'm at the gym or, you know, f- putting putting away laundry or something like that is uh, Bill Simmons. Oh, know, sure. So it's nothing – again, nothing too uh creative there. It's, you know, it's some confluence. I'm a big, big basketball fan. So, no uh, yeah. And so
0: – You make it any, to any of the Raptors games I during did, the playoffs, I did. Yeah. I did.
1: I made to one and I ended up – but I missed the – I was actually in, in Europe. So I watched the finals from a cafe in Paris at okay. like – four in the morning and uh with a few other portfolio managers <laughs> from Toronto. <laughs> uh and I actually you know the other thing too, I'm from coming from Manitoba, I you know I I'm, a, I'm more of a Winnipeg Jets fan, so mm-hmm. the Leafs are, you know, eh, it's nice to see them. If they do well, I'm that's fine, but I'm not I'm not a Leafs fan per se but I'll, I'll bandwagon it you know if oh, and when they actually you know get through the second round <laughs> good for
0: your safety around yeah here, yeah. yeah
1: but 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 I, ju- I came to toronto the same year the raptors the, the inaugural oh. year right 95 right okay. so i've always had a a soft spot for them so it was a it was a fun it was a fun year anyways from that standpoint
0: you do a fair amount of, uh, traveling, uh, globally for sure, but also throughout Canada, yeah. I'm sure, uh, for some marketing, mm. uh, and others,
1: other, uh, company visits. Uh, what's your favorite place to eat in Canada? Uh, well, thinking about this and I, one of my favorite restaurants, uh, outside of Toronto is Milos is in Montreal. Okay. A fantastic grief. And think Milos is like, they started in Montreal, but they're actually, this is one of the things been to the one in Vegas. There's one in New York, mm. There's one in London. There's one in Miami. So I've been to all. The only one I haven't been to is the one in Greece. So uh, fa- fabulous. Um, and in terms of, and I, I was out in Halifax a couple of years ago, and uh, this place called Barrington Steakhouse It's like one of the best, yeah. one of the best steaks I've ever had. Right, which is which is uh, pretty amazing. Um, so those those two came up the top of top of my head. Give
0: us give us one for uh, the folks in Toronto.
1: Oh yeah. Um, Gosh, I would say. Uh, I mean, uh, there's a lot of them. Uh, Bar Isabel is is, mm-hmm. is, is really good. Um, we uh, really, I mean, this is again nothing. We live we live in the annex, so buka Yorkville is oh, uh, sure. it's, it's more ha- more handy uh, around the corner from our house. Is Lanita? We think it's oh, really yeah. good, right? I mean, it's again. <laughs> I'm 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 being very parochial in terms of uh, it's right. very that's a very those are regional choices for me <laughs>
0: perfect uh and final question uh we're in august mm-hmm. uh vacation season's winding down but oh, if man. someone had two weeks uh, left to get away somewhere where would you suggest they go
1: <laughs> well i i was in was, I, you know, august there's a you know it, that rules out certain places you don't want to be no you know uh, protest aside going Protests to Asia. aside but yes. <laughs> uh uh you know i've been fortunate i've been to japan three or four times right. for work and was able to tag on a uh, a, uh, a vacation one of those times and i always say like one of my old colleagues who who manages portfolios in japan um he's been doing going back and forth there for 20 years he he used the uh he, he the way he described japan is uh he goes, I've been, you know, it's like the Gal- Galapagos Islands, right? Every time you go there, you see something different, right? It's just such a unique blend of culture. I mean, they're just, they're just, it's such a, you know, if they want to, if it's culturally, if they want to do something, it's, it, it, they focus on it until it's like perfected, right? Mm-hmm. And me, I'm a bit of a, you know, I, I, I it's extremely, it's extremely clean, <laughs> right? You, I, I, we went to the, you know, remember going to, being at some street, which is the equivalent of like Queen Street West here in Toronto and going to, you know, sort of like almost like a street Porto party party and it's like, you know, you could almost eat off the sink there. Wow. It's, like, it's pretty amazing. Uh, so, yeah, that's, uh, that, and we're more close, closer to homes, if you will, uh, we, uh, big sewer out in uh, West, West Coast. Sure it was really amazing. Uh, I mean, close to wine country, of course, we, 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 we stayed at this place called the post ranch in like stayed in, like, uh, lived in a tree house for a couple nights. So that's <laughs> pretty cool. Cool. But, uh, yeah, those are two that come off the top of my head.
0: Forward-looking information is subject to risks, uncertainties, and assumptions that could cause actual results to differ materially from those expressed herein. Our views are subject to change based on market conditions. Commissions, trailing commissions, management fees, and expenses all may be associated with mutual fund investments. Please read the fund facts and prospectus before investing. Mutual funds are not guaranteed. Their values change frequently, and past performance may not be repeated. On January 27, 2012, there was a change in the investment objectives to permit the fund to invest directly in fixed income and or income-oriented equity securities anywhere in the world. On July 26, 2013, the fund changed its mandate from investing in equity and fixed-income securities of companies that operate primarily in the infrastructure-related businesses to investing primarily in equity securities of global companies. The past performance before this date was achieved under the previous objectives. The performance of the McKinsey Global Dividend Fund Series F as of July 31st, 2019. One year, 8%. Three year, 9.69%. 5-year, 11.87%, 10-year, 12.32%.